rather than saying, I have this kink, how do I make my partner like it? Right. If you go, I have this kink, what is it about this kink that I find hot? Right. What is it that my partner finds hot? Where are the links there? How can I sort of tie those things together, maybe meld it into what they like? And then you get a much more interesting fantasy that's kind of created out of different bits of what both of you like. Right. If you're a regular listener to Getting Better Acquainted, then you may have heard the name Matt Hill pop up quite a lot of times in the years since the show's been going. He's a really old friend of mine, and he's a reason that a lot of people who've been guests on the show have known me. So when I've asked them, how do you know me? They've often said, through Matt Hill. And yet, Matt, in all the years of me doing this show, has always said he'd rather not do the show, rather not sit down with me and do a conversation. Recently, Matt finally agreed to come on Getting Better Acquainted, but he had a requirement before he would come on, and that is for Spark True Storytelling to meet our target in the fundraising we are doing to raise money for Refuge Aid, which is a charity working with refugees. Now, you can donate to that fundraiser over on www.com stories.co.uk which is Spark's website. If you've ever wanted to get better acquainted with Matt Hill and he is a podcaster of some renown but at the same time he's very rarely in front of the microphone then support that very very worthy cause and if you don't know who Matt Hill is you should still donate some money because refugees are people the same as us and they need our support. Our governments certainly aren't giving that support so we need to do what we can to help them ourselves hello i'm dave i'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together i need to get better please make me better i want to get better 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 acquainted with you Today we're getting better acquainted with Girl on the Net. Uh, hello. Hello. Hi. I've, I've occasionally had anonymous people uh, like on the show before, but they've had anonymous names rather than Girl on the Net. Ah, uh, um, yeah. So, and and uh, you know, often I've known their real name as well, but I just haven't haven't revealed that to the listeners. Whereas with you, you I, I don't know your real name, so this is, uh, yeah, I only know you by that by Girl on the Net, which is a strange thing to know a human being by. It is. It makes quite a lot of people uncomfortable. Which <laughs> I had I known when I started blogging just how uncomfortable that would make people then I would have picked a name and stuck with it I actually have a few different names that I give people now so if they want to refer to me as something Sarah is the most common one I'll use and people can call me Sarah but yeah it people turns out people don't like starting an email with hey girl maybe that's a good thing yeah uh, <laughs> yeah although that's the thing I mean the problem is the people who don't like starting emails with "Hey girl," that's good that they they feel that way. But then at the same time, there's probably tons of people who are very happy to to start with "Hey girl." Yeah, um, yeah. It's always the wrong people who worry. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's got it, a lot of people have shortened it now to "Gotten," and so I get "Gotten," and people will say out loud "Gotten," and it initially sounded really weird, but now I'm so used to it, it's it's great. Oh right, yeah, "Gotten." I always get confused with like how capital letters fit together as words when they're said out loud. I'm always saying it wrong like everybody like sex worker open university uh, everyone seems to say swoo and i and i always say swou and and to sound like the square at the party oh, see i always said swow uh-huh. and then 
yeah. people started saying swoo and I was like, okay, yeah, it's, it is swoo. But yeah, no, it's hard to know. <laughs> We're recording at my house, uh, my flat. I don't know why I always call my flat a house, uh, even though it's a flat. You may hear uh, some coffee brewing in the background it's yeah we've actually got some quite spectacular background sound it's not my stomach yeah no exactly like it's like we're, we're we've got like a kind of volcano behind us i might actually uh stop it but uh, it's been great to have it on on board for the start of the episode um <laughs> it's like uh, it always gets louder before it dies the coffee machine it's like wash, washing machines are generally like that too oh yeah <laughs> Right. Um, so the first question that I ask everybody when I'm not kind of going all around the houses about the coffee machine uh, is, how do you know me? Um, so I know you through Twitter and I can't remember when I started following you. It was a long time ago, I think. Yeah, do you know, I can't remember. I think I'd sort of seen some of your stuff retweeted around like feminist twitter and i think i first sort of started noticing your stuff because you do really good follow fridays <laughs> and i love your follow fridays because it's always a great you know you do a this you should follow this person because they wrote this or because they did this and it's a great way to find out you know new th- new things um so yeah twitter and then i came to your show yeah you did i mean it's nice that you say that that follow friday thing it, it kind of it's become kind of I don't know if it, it's a, if it's an obsession or like a, a, at least a chore every week like I, I like wake up at six and go right I have to start doing the follow Fridays like before I've even properly woken up I'm sort of like going through my system that I've created so that I don't miss people who I've seen that week who I like <laughs> so it's become a kind of complicated responsibility so it's always good when people say they actually read it because sometimes it feels like I'm just like putting all that work in and then uh, not knowing how many people are actually uh, paying attention which I guess yeah. is something that you're, you're a kind of the fe- one of the feelings that you'll be familiar with on the internet oh yeah I would imagine yeah so yeah so yeah and you came to my show which was amazing and you've also been a really wonderful supporter of that show and uh, like thank you so much that's right it's a brilliant that. show um and you allowed you know in the in the research for the show you you let me have a, a guest post on your on your blog to talk about the, the the survey I did about masculinity in men and then yeah when the show happened you you, you came to it and liked it and uh, have hosted a sort of of the the sound file on your on your on your blog again mm. so i'm sure it's got a lot of listens uh, thanks to you so thank you that's all right <laughs> well you're welcome one of the reasons i'm so desperate to put it on my site is i get a very mixed audience so i have a kind of core following of people who are lovely on twitter and very feminist and will already be aware of a lot of the issues that you raised in the show And I'm sure they will love it because it's such a personal exploration. But I also get a huge amount of traffic from search. And often that is people who are, they they come for the porn, basically, you know, they come for the dirty posts. And I want to persuade them to stay for the feminism as well. Right. And they're often people who will comment on the more feminist posts I write saying, oh, this is awful. How could you be so mean towards men? Like, why would you say this about men? And your show was just so brilliantly it was perfect for those kinds of people because the sort of things you were saying were things that you know really obviously touched me and I really wanted to be able to say to people but there are certain men who won't listen to that because I'm a woman and I think hearing it from you 
hope I hope I hope so yeah. too I mean it's still tricky like I might be a man but I'm not and that's one of the things the show's about I'm not uh, a man who's been uh, accepted as a man necessarily that much uh, by other men uh, and so yeah I think it's definitely important for men to, to speak on the kinds of stuff I speak on but probably the most important men are the, the most macho ones to, to speak on this sort of subject yeah. even if I don't agree with the way that they might phrase that speech sometimes because I'm like more versed in feminism I actually think it'd be great for like footballers you know and all of that sort of stuff to actually talk about how patriarchy hurts men Um, yeah but yeah I guess they're very busy benefiting from it so they may not be uh, able to notice it as easily yeah well I think I think also there's probably I'm I'm super optimistic about humans generally and I think probably particularly a lot of the men that I've met who wouldn't say they were particularly interested in feminism or wouldn't sort of stand up and say you know I'm really feminist bloke they do worry about a lot of the same issues and I've particularly in terms of like comments on my blog I'll get people who will come in you know men who come in being really angry about oh you said this and that's unfair towards men and then in the same breath talk about things like well we don't even get proper paternity leave and I'm like I know I know and let's like let's work together let's talk about this because it's all part of the same problem and I think yeah, you're right. You know, they're, they're having some really you know, sort of macho in inverted commas. Yeah, whatever that means. Yeah. yeah. Like the ones, you know, guys who are sort of seen as more alpha male or what have you, yeah. sort of talk more openly about it would be really helpful. And I think a lot of it is it's sort of in the back of people's minds. Like they don't, they are unhappy about the way things are, but don't always, you know, aren't always able to say because of patriarchy yeah. and... Right. Yeah. No, I mean, and I agree. I, I agree. Although, I mean, it's been interesting to me making that show. It is addressed to men. It is supposed to be for the benefit or the education or the solidarity of men, whatever, whatever word, word. I'm not comfortable with any of those words, to be honest. But it's been interesting to me that actually it's also women that it's actually been quite important, I think, in some ways to, to reach, not just because of the kind of stuff about kind of consent, which I think women haven't necessarily considered themselves as potentially um yeah assaulting men um and i think that's kind of an interesting thing i didn't really think about that when putting it in but i've been quite surprised by some women's reaction of like oh hang on i've got to go back through my sexual history and work out if i've done some bad things it's not just the men that that uh, need to do that it's also you know it's everybody yeah um which is cool i'm really glad of that but also it's been surprising to me going around and sort of talking about masculinity occasionally i get invited to do it i always make this mistake and i'm I'm going to stop making it uh, which is to assume that women already are on board with where I'm where I'm at so I've been so surprised so often of like just talking to women and assuming that they believe that patriarchy exists and then being really shocked to discover that they don't uh, and you know realizing that I've how, how to how to explain feminism to a woman as a man is not something that I ever <laughs> that's not something I want to do but at the same time Sometimes it's, it has to happen, I guess. If if if, they, if it comes up, you can't not speak. <laughs> yeah, no, I, yeah, I, I know what you mean. I mean, I think, yeah, it's really, really difficult. And there are certain, I mean, there are certain subjects that I think I would just say, do you know what, it's not, it's not my place to yeah. explain that. There are a lot of things that I feel like, I feel very passionately about, but I don't know in enough depth that I would be able to explain them even but yeah I mean from a from a woman's perspective the thing that really struck me about your show and the reason I cried (laughs) quite a lot um and made a bit of an idiot of myself but the reason I was really moved by it is because 
So much of what you were saying was essentially stuff that I have said before to my male friends or to my partners. And usually the reaction from them is, oh, yeah, no, that's really important. Oh, yeah, that's really interesting. And there's a big difference, I think, between accepting that something's important and really understanding it and grokking why it's important. And I came to see the show with a friend, a good male friend of mine. And afterwards we were chatting about it and he was sort of going through, oh, and when he said this and oh God, that was amazing. And that was a great example. And a little bit of me just sort of went, hmm, this is really interesting because I've had all of these conversations with him before. But it hasn't sunk in in the same way as uh, it really does coming from you. And not, you know, he's not a bastard. He's a lovely no, 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 bloke. Sure. He's a really good friend. And I don't think, you know, he would never deliberately play down any of my concerns. But when presented with something from a male perspective, he'll go, oh, God, that is really shocking. So, yeah, it's really interesting. And the, the consent thing, yes, it's, it's brilliant as well. I think a lot of I think a lot of people generally and women included suck at consent. I think I am. Um, not brilliant at it it's something that I am continually working on right I think partly because I'm very out there about what I want I kind of sometimes assume that other people will be the same and so I'm not as good at kind of teasing out details of what people want um I am getting better at that though and I'm you know I don't mean I'm not great at consent in a sort of I'm roughshod over it but I think I'm not as I would like to be better at finding out more detail about what people want and enjoy rather than assuming that they're going to tell me, basically. Although you're already at the first hurdle. I mean, like, my 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 problem, I find, is I'm not very good at articulating even what I want. Um, so at least you're at that <laughs> point where you can articulate what you want, um, and that's a, a great position to be in, um, yeah. I think. Um, which is not to say that, you know, uh, I'm not suggesting that there isn't, like, com- complexity in, in that and everything, really. I mean, the, the problem with sex is that it's always tied up with so many other things, so many insecurities, all sorts of things that kind of kind of come out, come around us and sort of stop us from communicating with each other, I think, sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, definitely. And so much of that stuff is explored often in fantasy. And so a lot of my own personal fantasies are things that I wouldn't necessarily want to do in real life. Right. But they're definitely things I want to explore in terms of play, storytelling, sometimes role play. Um, and I think one of the most valuable things that you can find in a you know a partner or a lover or whoever whoever it is is for both of you to be able to really understand where that person's line is you know so you can play with fantasy and then you can do you know whatever it is you want right. to do in real life but be able to keep those boundaries wherever people you know where, wherever people have set them and that's really difficult I think that's the hardest thing but my current partner is great at that and we've sort of spent quite a lot of time we tell each other stories quite a lot and that's a great way to sort of work out where those boundaries between fancy and things you actually want to live out are. Yeah, I mean, that, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and it's great to have a dialogue between people about these things as well. Like that's the a lot of the time I think people ex- sort of have these fantasies, but they don't articulate them out loud. And so, mm-hmm. you know, they're just alone with those fantasies half the time. They're thinking, you know, that they're bad people for having those fantasies or whatever. And half the time they're just kind of maybe thinking uh, no one else is going to be into this. But, but actually uh, that first step of just talking yeah. uh, with somebody else, I think it's really weird that we don't ever, well, at least I don't, and I don't feel like I've been taught to, um, think about like actually having a dialogue that sex is always about there's no 
kind of talking is not really a part of sex in in terms of our education at least yeah no I mean it would be brilliant to see more kind of communication and consent within our you know sex education but yeah I think yeah, we we just we're sort of we're sort of also led to believe that fantasy or kink is an all or nothing thing so one of the most common questions I'm asked is how do I get my partner to like x where x might be you know spanking or role play or whatever so how do I get my partner to like x and I think part of that comes from you know and it comes from a good place a lot of the sex positive movement with people like Dan Savage saying well your partner has to be good giving in game they have to give your fetishes a go and so a lot of people are stuck in this mindset whereby well I've got this kink my partner has to fulfill it or at least try to fulfill it so how can I make it enjoyable for them? And I think that's a sort of coming at it a bit backwards. You know, you're coming at it from the wrong direction rather than saying, I have this kink. How do I make my partner like it? Right. If you go, I have this kink. What is it about this kink that I find hot? Right. What is it that my partner finds hot? Where are the links there? How can I sort of tie those things together? Maybe meld it into what they like. And then you get a much more interesting fantasy that's kind of created out of different bits of what both of you like right you're not just both taking it in turns to to uh, indulge the other one's fantasy you're, yeah. you're having a co-created fantasy I yeah. love that that's really nice so yeah I mean the second question I ask everyone which we've, we, we've kind of I guess people hopefully will know the answer to this but I'm going to ask, ask it anyway is what do you do now so I am now a full-time freelance writer blogger doer of sex things basically so I started about four years ago I started the blog and for about two years I was writing the blog and I had a job at the same time Um, and then things basically things came to a bit of a head I was getting a lot more work and I was getting really stressed and I was having some sort of mental health problems read all about it in my book (laughs) I'm definitely more eloquent about it in the book but yeah so I I finished my job and I had about three months worth of savings and I said right well I'm going to give myself three months to give this sex writing thing a go and see if I can make it a full-time job so now that's what I do I spend sort of maybe 30-40% of my time on the blog and then I also do freelance writing for other places and I've just written a book and I will probably write more of those in future. So yeah, it's really exciting. Right. I mean you so you've, I mean you've written two books, right? Yes. And, yeah. and I've I have to admit I've not read either of them and I apologize about that. In, in, oh, in, although I haven't read any other books. So it's it's, <laughs> it's not it's not been because I mean out of all the books I haven't read, those have been some of the books I've most wanted to read. Um, but I am a regular uh, reader of your blog I mean and I have been for a long time and actually I mean I've sort of said said this to you uh, when you came to the show but I mean it's kind of a two-way street with the show because I mean you you influenced a lot of what went what went into the show a lot of what I was thinking about when I was making that show was a lot of posts that oh, you'd written thanks. so if it in a in a long roundabout way, maybe some of it, some of your things that you said did go to your friend via me, um, <laughs> and so yeah, I mean, I think then that's an important thing to sort of point out about the show. In, in the you know, it, the show comes out of of the work of many many women. I mean, also some men, but 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 you know, the, I've read a lot of women and they influenced the show. Most of them are on the reading list, but I've come to realise recently that people aren't aware that Rebecca Solnit coined the phrase mansplaining. So I should probably say that at some point. Oh uh, yeah, within the show because I keep getting people say oh I love that word you invented I'm like what what <laughs> how have you not heard the word man I know, and w- imagine if, if, if it suddenly becomes coined like by a man like yeah. uh, th- 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 that'd be the worst anyway um so yeah 
Um, and you, your writing has influenced me for a long time. And, and interestingly, actually, a lot of the stuff that you've influenced me on, I had, didn't even make the show because it was too kind of complicated. Like, I, I, I really like, or at least I'm very challenged by uh, the stuff that you've written about kind of domestic chores and that kind of oh, side of, yeah. of how gender works. And I had a lot of stuff around that, but just, you know, there's only an hour you can cover and there's only... Yeah. And also sometimes, like, I, I guess, tactically, you, you think, well is that an area that's going to help men to take this first step? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, yeah, but I mean, and, and you know, you don't just write feminism. I hasten to, to add there's also loads of sex. Like, as you said, there's lots of hot stuff. If people aren't, aren't into the, to the yeah. idea of just reading feminism, there's lots of uh, really well-written uh, erotica, I guess. Is that the word you uh, use? See, I wouldn't say what I would always say porn Good. over erotica. <laughs> because, not, I mean, not to disparage erotica, right? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, like, sure. you know, erotica itself is great. But I think erotica is is a genre of porn. And I have a lot of friends who work in the porn industry who are, you know, subject to so much stigma because what they're doing is, you know, physical labour, it's sex work, and people sort of frown on the idea of porn. Whereas erotica is sort of elevated as if it's special and, and brilliant because it's words and words are a bit mysterious and, you know, we're magical words. Yeah. Most of what I write is true. So it's, you know, 90% of the filth I write is true stories. And I... It is porn. Porn is, you know, material designed to arouse basically that people can wank to. That's exactly what I do. And I think it would be, I don't know, I sort of feel like I just have a different, I use a different tool to write to make it. So some people will use video cameras or, you know, they'll take photographs and they'll use their bodies and I will use words because words are always, have always been more my thing. Right. So yeah, porn, definitely porn. Yeah, no, I, mean, <laughs> I, I, I support that, that idea of like phrasing things as, as porn. Um, I remember, I mean, he's not necessarily always the most uh, right on in terms of gender politics, but I remember um, when uh, Lost Girls came out, the Alan Moore comic, oh, uh, yeah. which is like porn, um, <laughs> he was very made a very similar argument you know with less uh, respect to the uh, sex worker movement but more like just this is porn that's what it is and uh, you mm. know let's be honest about what it is I um, think I think as yeah. well particularly at the moment when the government is trying to make some quite ridiculous moves to to block and ban porn mm. it's really important for those of us who don't make you know video type porn it's really important for us to say this is porn as well because as soon as you start pointing out yeah this blog post is porn this thing that I've you know written for a reputable magazine is basically porn this book that has been published and you could walk into a shop and buy it as a 16 year old that's also porn and so the more you can kind of point out like yes this is porn this is designed to arouse I think I hope the harder it will be for the government to you know crack down on people who are making video porn right because why why should it be different right. that because i'm writing and they're in front of a camera um they get banned and i don't i mean obviously i don't want to be banned that would be awful no um, yeah. but yeah but it's it's that sort of and i'm sure it's when they do start banning porn people like me will suddenly start seeing drops in traffic or you know they'll i've already have issues with sort of you know people's work things blocking porn i get people tweeting me all the time saying oh i really want to read your blog but o2 won't let me i need to get, right. get my phone unblocked you can't use your pictures on facebook you have to always, oh, yeah yeah <laughs> it's that's so frustrating stuart the illustrator does such amazing pictures and sometimes i'm just I'm, i just think i just want to put this on facebook because everyone who likes my page knows that it's a plus 18 page and it's 
I just think it's ridiculous that Facebook won't let me post them. I could post, I could write an absolutely disgusting story, you know, truly filthy. I could put whatever I wanted in it and Facebook would be fine with that because it's words. But as soon as you show a picture and that picture might have a bum in it, then they're horrified. And they're lovely pictures as well. I mean, I got Stuart to do the... the, uh the artwork for my show as well like partly that was influenced by by seeing his his work on your on your blog um and he's he's just the best like, i love i love his art like all of his art he's, he does some great i love his uh greetings cards that he does like oh you know, yeah um which are really good so i'm i'm glad we're mentioning him a lot because that means i get to put a link to him uh, in the show notes but yeah yeah he's brilliant he's brilliant <laughs> and i get lots of people commenting as well you know people will say oh i love the art on your blog um so yeah no he's great yeah, and and so and you so you've you've been you've been blogging. How long have you been blogging for? So I started in September 2011. So four and a half years. Wow, I know, which seems like ages now. I'm like bloody hell. Yeah, it creeps up um, on you. Yeah, it does. And it's also one of the things that I find most sort of I don't know. One of the things that really stops me short is realizing that. I think it was about two years ago I decided I went from doing sort of three posts a week on random days to having set days that I was going to post on as soon as I started having set days I was going to post on I became obsessed with getting something live on those days and so it's been almost pretty much two full years non-stop of having a post every Wednesday and every Sunday and I sort of when I go on holiday and I'm like busy pre-writing all the blog posts before I go away and my other half is like why why are you doing this like no one is breathing down your neck saying you have to get this live you could just publish a thing that says I'm on holiday and so I just can't not do it I think blogging is quite addictive when you get into it and particularly because I love the graphs that show me how many people are coming to visit and all the stats and stuff and I'm really nerdy about it I just can't cope with the graphs going down how to keep the graphs at least you know on a straight line if not going up yeah yeah um arbitrary goals I love arbitrary goals (laughs) No, I can relate to that as well as I mean, I, I have a, you know, Wednesday is the hard deadline for this show. And uh, yeah, I've missed very few Wednesdays. And my partner has had many of those kind of conversations <laughs> with me about, you know, it doesn't matter. It's just like this. In this case, it doesn't matter. Your, your, your mental health will be improved if you just don't put it out this week. And I'm like, you know, I just can't not yeah. put it out. I mean, there's been occasion and occasions I've done that, but yeah, I'm okay. I occasionally kind of make announcements saying people will have to understand that I'm really busy at the moment, and so I probably won't be posting very much in the future. And then I don't, you know, don't <laughs> miss a day still. So it is. I think it's really hard. I'm I'm always sort of torn between because I have like proper anxiety and stress, and I get a bit weird sometimes. Yeah. and so I'm torn between going, "That's really bad for my anxiety." And also going, but I think it's good for me. I think if I didn't have something that I cared this much about, I would be really at a loss and I'd struggle. And I think ever since, probably since I left university, I haven't had anything that I've cared about as much as this blog. And so I love it. It's my baby. Right. It's, yeah. Yeah, and that's another that's another kind of branch of your writing that I've really appreciated over my time reading you. Actually, is is, is talking about um, anxiety and those sorts of things, which I I also experience. And I mean, I've I've seen you sort of write very similar things to that about how you are torn between you know it's all of this stress isn't good for you, but at the same time having this thing that you do is so good for you. And I'm I yeah. That's exactly what, what, you know, very, very relatable content yeah. <laughs> from my side anyway. I wonder if maybe it is, maybe a lot of anxious people have similar things. You know, it's that constantly torn between 
I desperately want to do this, but I'm not sure if my wanting to do this is a good is good for yeah. me or you know not good for me. I, mean, I think it varies as well. I mean, like that's the problem. We try and find like a, a solution, a code to decode our anxiety or whatever else we might feel, and. Uh, there is no code. Yeah, I'm, I'm always reminded of that. Like you think you've worked out how to how to stop yourself from getting anxious or depressed or whatever, and then you get blindsided. And then when the blindside comes, I'm always thinking it's not fair. I've worked out. I, I thought I decoded this bomb. I, I, I <laughs> then you know haven't. Yeah, uh, and I think in in a way it's healthy to remember. I'm trying to at the moment remember, you know, that that it's okay not to not to have a solution, but actually just muddling muddling through is, is actually what everyone else is doing. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think yeah, maybe that that's it. It's you know, everyone else is muddling through. They're just not telling themselves off for muddling through and you know not constantly being efficient and on top of things. Yeah, um, yeah. That's my my goal at the moment is to spend at least one hour a day doing something that isn't work so I'll go for a walk or yeah. go to the gym or something nice and now that I've set that as my goal if I don't do it I beat myself up for not doing my relaxation goal and it's ah oh, I'm just not very good at it not very good at relaxing and uh, so like what made you decide to become a sex blogger like what why did you decide to do that so i decided i wanted to be a sex blogger long before i started a sex blog um my ex and i we used to write like filthy emails to each other he was quite good at the filthy emails and so we'd write filthy emails to each other and we were also very very adventurous sexually we were together for a really long time if anyone listening has read my first book he's number eight in my first book and he's a lovely bloke and and we're still friends we see each other every now and then but so we're really kind of sexually adventurous and he you know we did a lot of firsts together like first fetish club first pegging all that kind of thing and I said to him I think it was about a year before we broke up I was like we should write a sex blog together just you know the same stories but from our different perspectives nice and it was going to be really good and he was a very good writer so we made we did a few sort of sample posts so we both wrote about the day that we met from my perspective and his perspective and a couple of other things and we sort of looked at them all together and I said this is I said this is really good we should put this live but he was always a bit nervous and always sort of worried obviously about well, what if people find out and so that we sort of put that project on a back burner and then eventually we broke up and about six months after we broke up I just thought oh, I just really want to do this like I love sex I love writing the, the things the two things in life that I'm most passionate about I should start a sex blog this is just a good way for me to sort of get this all off my chest so I had to go and ask him and say oh, I want to start a sex blog sort of most of my stories involve you in some way is that okay and he was you know really he was fine about it and very supportive and well not fine about it he was a little bit nervous but he you know said okay and I think as well at the time at the time I wasn't aware of that many other sex bloggers and I was very frustrated with sort of mainstream you know the the general message that men like sex and women like shoes or you know something (laughs) other than sex and that it's this oh, sex is so tedious for women and they all just want to get out of it. And, you know, at that point, I just split up with my ex. I was dating loads of people and shagging lots of people off okay, Cupid. So, yeah, I really liked sex. And I was like, I like it, damn it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that kind of all of that stuff came together. And then I, yeah, published my first post in September, I think. Yeah, September 2011. And I think, well, that's... An, it's, it's interesting as well that you said, like... Because one of the things I think is not necessarily unique about your your 
your blog because I'm sure that there's loads of other sex blogs that are doing similar things that I don't know about. But one of the things that I always think is 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 really engaging about what you do is that, like you say, like we have this sort of society that says men like sex and women like shoes. Um, and what I like about the way you write is that you you know you write. Uh, urgently, filthily, like very kind of like viscerally, like all of the ways that women are presented as not thinking about sex, you like embody all of those things. Like, like if it was a, if if it was a, if you were a man writing your blog, people would expect a man to sort of have the kind of filthy urgency kind of in contained in your stuff. And and you know they should expect lots of men not to be like that. That's the that's the problem men have. Whereas whereas you you, know, you really you really show that it isn't as we're told. And that's really liberating as a man uh, to, to see that, to see that, you know, women are just as dirty, filthy and kind of like urgent as, as, as men can be. Yeah. You know? Well, it's, do you know what? It's a really double-edged sword, though. Mm. Because, so the reason I write like that is because that's the kind of sex I like. And I don't, you know, people have asked me before to write about sort of, you know, um, long BDSM scenes or, you know... Um, intricate role play and that kind of thing and I'm like actually I don't really do that I'll do the role play for about five minutes and then be like right bored now let me get on your dick um so it's can I say I'm yeah sorry, you can okay. say any, any words um, you want I'm sorry I'm, I'm, so, I'm never sure what I can but anyway I'll say the d-word so um I do so that's the kind of sex that I like having and so that's of course you know that's how it comes out when I write it um which is great in some ways because I get a lot of comments from people saying, oh, this is exact, this is what I like. And I love getting comments from women saying, this is what I like too, which is brilliant. But on the flip side, I also get, because most of my traffic comes from search, yeah. I get people coming from search and they'll read some of my, you know, more intense fantasies or, you know, shags I've had where um, we're playing with consensual non-consent or something that's quite um, vicious, you know, including a lot of, like, vicious BDSM stuff, or appalling language. Um, and they will say either, this is rubbish, women, no woman would ever think this. Right. Or they go, oh, so this is how I should shag my girlfriend then, this is how I should get her involved. And I'm just like, oh, God, no, you've missed the point. Um, so it's really difficult, because obviously, on the one hand, I want to be able to say... Yes, that women, you know, women can love sex in this way. But then I don't want to give the message that all women yeah. definitely like it if you do this. And so I think that's why I've started writing more of the kind of feminist posts or, the, you know, posts that talk in more detail about consent and communication. When I first started blogging, it was mostly filth. And now it's probably about 50-50 because I just, I don't want anyone, you know, to come across my blog and get the message that... Oh, this is how all women like well, to have sex. Yeah, I mean, that's, well, that's the problem with taking any individual as like a representative of a whole group of people. Yeah, I mean, uh, but but I mean, yeah, no, I bet there's there's so many complexities to being a woman writing about sex on the internet. Yeah, um, that that's a, you know we're only scratching the surface, I'm sure. Um, but like, yeah, I, I, it's it's an interesting one. Like, I, I can understand that as well that you don't want to create kind of almost a mirror image straight jacket for women that there is for men because I'm, I, I'm, I'm a man with quite a high sex drive in that way. I, I conform to uh, the stereotypes of men. Um, but 
I mean, I know many men who haven't got high sex drives, uh, and I know that it's much more complicated. And you know, in fact, uh, you know, I, I may have been, you know, now at thirty-four, I have a much lower sex drive, and have had a vasectomy as well. I think which had a, a slight effect on my on my sex drive. But I, but I think you know, uh, so even 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 me, I can sort of feel too straight-jacketed by this idea that I should always be into sex. Yeah. Um, and certainly, you know, my in, my, in the, the the issue, you know, the the part of my my show that's about uh, not not consenting um, was it was absolutely a, a, the problem was that the woman assumed that I that all men wanted sex that that is like I feel I feel like a lot of women it's like that's the thing it's like all men want sex and so you know I'm just liberating their their desire that they're not admitting to fully yes um, and that's a kind of a, a big problem and I can see how you wouldn't want to create a similar thing of like you know you don't want to push back against patriarchy and then have it be that all women have to be readily always interested in sex and, yeah and that's the straight bracket you're in already right because women are supposed to uh, offer sex even if they're not supposed to enjoy it right yeah sex is sex is a, <laughs> sex is about us rather yeah. than for us um but yeah you're absolutely right the answer isn't you know to take cosmos here's how to please your man in bed and just change the actions they list in that thing you know that's still giving people a list of things that they should do um and it must be yeah i mean it must be incredibly difficult for men with low lower sex drives you know as annoying as it is for me to have to say to you know twatty commenters yes i am real yes i am a woman and i do exist it must be so i can't imagine how difficult it must be for men with very low sex drives to say that you know amongst all the pressure of well you know you have to be macho and do this and all the messages that oh well guys will always want a blowjob I know a guy who doesn't really enjoy getting blowjobs like it's just not really his thing he doesn't he's not really into it and when he says that to people their reaction is immediately dismissive well of course you do oh you just obviously haven't had a good one and I think you know much as it's difficult for women to express kind of strong sexual desire it's difficult i think for men to express any kind of sexual desire that isn't this kind of aggressive you know wanting sex all the time oh i'll be happy with anything i can get i don't i keep i know i realize i keep kind of saying men and then women and sort of having yeah, like that right and it's not but, it's not a binary and there's 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 so many there's so much in between those two points but at the same time uh yeah yeah <laughs> i think the, the one thing is true of all of us and that is that we can all try and be better with sex and consent. And also, we have all probably got something that people expect of us, whether it's just based on their, you know, their first impressions of us or when they get into bed with us. People will already have some expectations about what we will want in the bedroom. And so the onus is on everybody to kind of try and communicate better and, you know, be more open and ask more questions, all that kind of thing. Yeah. And did, I mean, and so, like, is it is it fair to say then if you've sort of, you're doing more feminist posts because of because of that, like the, doing, your, doing your blog, has that kind of not made you more of a feminist, but like kind of focused your politics maybe? Definitely. <laughs> um, yeah, definitely. I was actually, I was chatting to a friend of mine about this the other day and she is, 
she's fantastic and she's incredibly intelligent and she challenges me on a lot of stuff particularly when it comes to feminism and I've learned so much from her in the last sort of year or two and she was saying oh well is there anything that you wrote about on your blog when you first started that you changed your mind about now and I'm like oh god yes I almost want to go back and put a warning on some of my older blog posts and it's usually not that I've completely changed my mind it's just that I've written some blog posts in complete ignorance of certain issues. Of course, the problem with going back and putting a warning on some is that if I don't catch all of them, all of the ones I disagree with, then I risk people thinking, oh, well, that one's definitely still her point. She hasn't put a warning on it. I'm trying to think of what I've changed. I'm not sure. I can't think of anything I've like completely changed my mind on. But I am now, thanks to loads of brilliant people on Twitter, much more aware of trans rights, which I just think wouldn't have really entered my mind when I started blogging which is awful and uh, yeah a lot of stuff around gender and gender identity and sex work so I think sex work if you'd asked me when I first started blogging well what do you think of sex work I would have said you know anyone should have the right to to do sex work but I wouldn't have understood the nuance of the arguments or why particularly the kind of the way it's discussed in the media it's very nefarious. So some of the arguments for the Nordic model are quite oblivious and sort of broad brushstrokes, ignoring a lot of the things that sex workers are talking about. And I think I probably at the time would have gone, oh, well, you know, whatever's safest. And oh, well, you know, criminalising the buyer and not the seller, that makes sense because then the people can still sell if they want to. And I think I just wouldn't have understood the nuance. Whereas now, you know... I think decriminalisation is the way forward. Yeah. I should say, I'm going to state that because otherwise I'll be like, it'll sound like I've been wishy-washy on it. But Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, I don't, think it, I don't think it sounds like you, you were being wishy-washy, but I, I totally understand the desire to want to absolutely state your position on that. Mm. Uh, and, you know, we share that position. Decriminalisation is uh, what I support absolutely as well. And, you know, that's through listening to, and I'm sure it, it has been for you, through listening to sex workers and hearing what they say. I think... I'm, similarly, I might I might have in the past supported. I, I, I no, I don't know if I ever would have supported the idea of, of, of criminalising clients, but I but I think I definitely would have had like more negativity towards. I would have not cared about those men, um, and yeah. now I understand that it doesn't matter. It's not about caring about those men. It's about caring about the women uh, who you know are protected by uh, by decriminalisation and not by criminalising their clients. Like that's the safety option. And yeah, that's kind of I guess a nuance I wouldn't have fully understood. Although I've never had like a I've never had that. And it sounds like you didn't either. Like I never I've never had that disgust that a lot of people have. Like the stigma I guess that people have around. Like I, I've used the wrong terms and I've learned a lot about how to use the right terms. But I've always used them with the right meaning if you know, if you know what I mean yeah. like underneath it I've always, when I've said different words for sex worker I've, I've, I've been thinking human being um, when I've been saying it and I've, yeah. not, I've not had any of that kind of disgust and like I don't and I guess that kind of stuff is not just around sex work it's also around sex generally right yeah it's one of the things I find fascinating writing about sex is just yeah just how often people's you know reactions to things it's based on that knee-jerk disgust or a knee-jerk sort of ooh, and I don't like that. Ashley Madison was a fantastic example when the Ashley Madison hack happened last year, I think, about a year ago. And obviously loads and loads of people's email addresses were released. There were lots of articles saying, well, that'll teach them to have an affair on their spouse. And, you know, well, uh, ha, 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 that'll teach them. And I sort of had a look at some of the examples of, you know, 
people's email addresses have been leaked and reading some of these um, articles. And I just thought, no, do you know what? No, we don't, we can't be, no, we can't be the arbiters of who does and doesn't deserve it. And looking into the details of who was affected by the Ashley Madison hack, there are people there with email addresses from Saudi where potentially adultery is punishable by death. Mm-hmm. Do these people deserve to die because they joined a, you know, an extra marital affairs website? No. There were people who joined it when they were students in the States and they joined it as a gay person looking for, you know, someone of the same sex. When the leak happened, they were back in their home countries where homosexuality was punished by imprisonment or death, whatever. And so I wrote this piece on on, uh, Dean Burnett's blog at The Guardian about it because every now and then I'll be like, Dean, can I write this? Um, and so I just wrote this piece saying, look, realistically, feel you know, you you have a right to your moral opinion, and you can think if you like. I think these people are bad people, but to say that they deserve, you know, just blanket say people deserve death potentially for doing something just because you're morally disgusted. I just can't, I can't. I find it really difficult to deal with that. And I think so much of our sexual politics often springs from disgust and and this sort of, well, I wouldn't do that. Right. You don't have to. No one's going to make you do it. You know, you've got to form your own ethics around what you do and don't want to do. But to a certain extent, you have to let people live their lives and make mistakes and... Right. Join Ashley Madison if they want to. Well, exactly. But also, I mean, the the whole thing about having an affair or not having an affair, a lot of that also comes through this culture of disgust at sex that we have anyway. You know, people end up doing things that they might not do if they lived in a a society where they were allowed to articulate their desires. Yeah. You know, people end up doing it secretly, doing it without telling their partners, whatever. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm in an open relationship for a few years now. And, you know people might have assumed that I would be having an affair, but they don't know my... They don't know... If they didn't know that I was in an open relationship. And there's always all sorts of uh, agreements people make within relationships that are not public. Like, yeah. I'm public about being in an open relationship. Now, I wasn't when I, you know, worked for a council. And, you know, that's... that's you know, that's, that's the reality. You know, we people have to keep things secret and they look different from the outside because they're not fully out in the open. People yeah. aren't talking about them properly. And I think, yeah, absolutely. And I think, yeah, if we can have more openness about it, then we'll probably start to understand a hell of a lot more about people's interactions and lots of different relationship models and why people choose certain things. I think you can tell a lot about someone by the way they react to you know, a big scandal like the Ashley Madison hack. Mm. And you can tell a lot about, you know, things like how forgiving they are or how empathetic they are. I had a few people reply to the article that I wrote saying, oh, I bet you'd think differently if your partner was on Ashley Madison or, oh, I bet you still checked if your partner was on Ashley Madison. I bet you'd think differently. And I'm like, well, I mean, I'd be upset. I'd be sad because I'm not, well, I'm not in a particularly open relationship. Like, we do stuff sometimes, but only when both of us are there together. Right, right. Um, so, yeah, I'd be upset. But that still wouldn't change my fun- the fundamental principle that I don't think he should be punished by the state mm-hmm. for deigning to try and have a, you know, well, not extramarital because we're not married, but an extra yeah. relationship affair. And, yeah, I don't know. I think you can tell a lot. And it's often people's cruelty really comes out when you see the way they react to sexual things other people do. So, I mean, it, it, some of that's cruelty, but I think there's also a, a lot, and I think this can be overemphasised, so I hasten to add that, but there's also a lot of, like, desire that they, like, people who are not living in their desires, 
get kind of jealous when they see other people are like I think there's a lot of that around kind of homophobia or like attitudes towards people who have open relationships or whatever it's it's often because that person isn't really fully fulfilled whatever that might mean it doesn't mean that they're gay necessarily although sometimes people who are homophobic do turn out to be gay but that definitely is overemphasized and so I don't want to overemphasize it but it's definitely a some of its cruelty and some of it I think is definitely kind of not being happy inside themselves like I think that's maybe why a lot of meanness happens generally like sadly like not that that excuses any of any meannesses yeah I do, I, I do I see what you mean I mean I think it's really difficult though I think I'm always nervous about going from you know someone's wrong as you know they are if they're being cruel to people about you know their relationships whatever to then saying well they must they must not be happy right or they must not be fulfilled because actually I don't know I think I think it's more than possible to be sexually fulfilled but very angry (laughs) and I think a lot of it has probably to do with you know things like religion or upbringing or you know you're given these very strict set of rules and to a certain extent as a massively anxious person who is obsessed I'm obsessed with rules like if someone says if if there's a sign that says don't walk on the grass there is absolutely no one around to see me walk on the grass I still won't walk on the grass because there's a rule (laughs) Um, so yeah I can see why people get into that mindset of there are very set rules in their heads but yeah I don't know I I think I don't really know. I think there's probably loads of reasons why it happens. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Any generalisation yeah. is, is by de- definition wrong, almost. Yeah. But, um, yeah, no, you're right. Look, there are lots of reasons, and I'm, I'm glad you put a bit more nuance on it, because I was already, you know, not fully trusting my own nuance in what I was saying, so I'm glad that, that there was some, somebody here to save me from that generalisation abyss. Um, one thing I would... I was, I, I think it's an interesting thing to ask you is, is why do you choose to make your blog anonymously? Uh, well, there are a, a hundred different answers to this question. <laughs> um, basically, so the reason I was anonymous originally was because of employment. Or in a really boring perspective, uh, my company had certain policies around social media and use of the internet. And it was that horribly nebulous term, you shan't do anything that will bring the company into disrepute, which I hate. And I think it needs to be gone and expunged from contracts because... Where where companies mean things that are genuinely important, i.e. if you are publicly racist or violent or, you know, doing these things in the name of the company, blah, 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 then of course that's a disciplinary measure. But so often company into disrepute can be used to mean anything. And my company had previously been quite strict on it and I'd seen people sort of getting told off for certain blogs or, you know, Twitter accounts or whatever. So I just thought it would be safer to be completely anonymous. Now, though... Because I don't have a job. I could have, you know, quit my job and gone, hey, this is me, here's my real name. But now there are lots of reasons. I get some scary emails from people. And so part of it is a safety thing. I don't want people turning up in their pants on my doorstep. No. Well, I mean, certain people maybe. um, Arranged, arranged. (laughs) That's okay if you've arranged it in advance, but definitely not, not, uh, yeah. Yeah, not not without appointment. Um, No pants wanking without appointment. Um... So there's that. There's also partly out of respect for the people that I have written about and slept with. Right. Um, so I have a sort of, I have a general internal ethical code about what I will and won't write. And there are some people whose details I have fudged a lot to make sure that they're completely anonymous. There are other people who I've spoken to and they've said, yeah, fine, you can write about this. But realistically, there are a few very significant 
guys who featured in you know books I've written most notably a guy called Mark who like my most recent book is almost you know exclusively about him he doesn't necessarily want for me you know if my name is out there then his name is out there as well and I have to you know be respectful of that and also from a sort of a fun perspective it's really nice sometimes to be able to switch off and not be gotten because gotten isn't me she is like a a cooler version of me and she's more interesting than me because she only tells people the interesting bits like she's not going to write a blog post about how on Saturday she was so hungover she spent the whole day watching Netflix and eating crisps because that's not very interesting but gotten can have all of the interesting bits and then me I can go and retreat to my sort of real life Facebook with my real life friends and my family and be like, oh, knackered and hungover today. Um, so it's quite nice having that separation. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, there's, there, are, there are lots of reasons. And I think it's really, I get so frustrated with, um, there are a lot of sort of debates at the moment around whether or not we should ever allow people to be anonymous online because that's why people troll and, you know, because they have this anonymity. And I think, you know, to a certain extent, yes, anonymity does encourage, well, encourage, it gives people a space in which they can be completely awful. But just because I'm anonymous, it doesn't mean I'm not accountable. Like, I am, girl on the net is far more valuable to me than my real name. Like, names like Sarah or Kate or, you know, I use a few different names when I'm girl on the net. They are more valuable to me than my real name because my me as a you know as far as my old work life you know she she's not particularly valuable anymore whereas gotten is really valuable she does things and she writes and she is accountable so i could no more troll someone with girl on the net than i would troll someone under my real name i mean i wouldn't anyway cause it's not very nice but you know Right. I am accountable under that name. And there's plenty of people who troll under their real names as well. Like, that's yeah. one of... Like, I, I, you know, I, I can see some arguments both ways about whether people become more accountable, you know, using their real names or not. But I think, you know, some people do, some people don't. Um, but there's so many people who are protected by being anonymous um, that I th- feel like to take that away from all of those people who are protected uh, in order to stop some but not all of, yeah. of a group it's just a bit of a strange decision yeah yeah I mean and I guess yeah I guess like I mean those kind of things are very kind of pertinent to you like generally like you were saying about clampdowns on p- porn online uh, and these kind of like regulation or non-regulation of the internet becomes very important mm. if, if your most of your livelihood is coming from a, from a blog oh yeah absolutely <laughs> well I mean yeah I sort of yeah I um Basically, if they if something happened, something changed in terms of internet regulation and my blog started getting blocked from most ISPs, I would be totally screwed. And that would be a huge amount of my income. Just well, a huge amount of me. Not that I get loads of income. Right. Um, I don't really earn that I much money. I make that but... mistake all the time. Like saying, yeah, all of my income. But that, yeah. Yeah, all of my income. 25 free and a bus ticket. Right, we're both freelancers. <laughs> don't expect us to be making any money. <laughs> Well, what's, what's really interesting, though, is so I, I went to this, um, there's a brilliant sex writers conference called Eroticon, which happens every year, although it's taking a break next year. Um, but I went last year and did a talk about turning your hobby, so blogging, into your day job and how do you turn a sex blog into your day job and start making money. And one of the things that's so interesting in the blogging community is we talk a lot about how to make money, how to put up ads, like here's what you should do. We so rarely talk about 
how much we earn. And I said in my talk, I earn, I think, like 25 grand or something the year before. And I said, I made 25 grand. And I'm going to tell you that I made 25 grand because if you need more money than that in order to survive, it's completely pointless me sitting here and banging on to you about how to do advertising, how to do this, that and the other. Realistically, you need figures on it, but we never talk about figures. And I think not talking about figures is incredibly damaging. I think it feeds into, you know, people getting paid unequally, people getting asked to do free work when someone else would be charging 300 quid for doing the same work, all that kind of stuff. Sorry, I went off on a complete tangent. I feel really strongly about it. I think that's really true. I mean, it's kind of like when we're talking about this stigma around sex, it's not the only thing we put stigma around. And actually, there's a stigma around talking about our actual financial situations. And that stops us from collectively saying, this is shit. It's shit for everybody. Most people, uh, but none of us want to talk about it. We all want to pretend that we're... It's a little bit like sex. We like In in sex, everyone pretends that they're having more sex than they're having. And with money, it's the same thing. Uh, And neither of those result in in better, better results for everyone, I think. Those kind of lies. Yeah, absolutely. My dad always says that like it would be good if I don't know if I think it's a bit extreme, but he always says if if everyone had how much they earned written on their forehead, and then you know you'd know who should buy the pint. And <laughs> I think that's a, it's a good point. I mean, because I, I I'm as as someone who's anxious and always worried about rules a little bit myself. I always get very anxious about who to buy, how to like. I, I want to buy pints for people who earn uh, less than me, but I don't. But people who've got more than me, I'm very happy for them to buy my pints. <laughs> um, so I'd definitely like it laid down on the table. Yeah, I'm I'm all for like I'm all for talking about it. I used to be quite obnoxious actually when I was working because I would happily have conversations with people about salary. So if people on my team were saying, Oh, I think I feel like I'm not really being paid that well, I'd say, Right, well this is what I earn. Uh, what do you earn? Right, well when I was in your position I was getting this much money. And people are people are really horrified and it sounds it sounds rude. Like even just saying the words, yeah. it sounds boastful, like, oh well I earn this much money. But it's so important. I got told off by my boss because I, <laughs> I used to keep talking about it. And she's like, yes, pay on our team is very unequal. I'm trying to sort it out. But in the meantime, you know, don't rile people up. It's like, no, you sort it out quicker if I rile people up. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not the best of employees. Well, <laughs> you know, you, 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 you're not an employee anymore. So no. that's, that's uh, the best kind of employee to be in some ways, I think. Uh, as, as, as someone who is also now no longer an employee, although I don't earn 25 grand a year yet, but, uh, but that's definitely uh, given me hope, uh, that number. <laughs> Whereas for some people that would terrify them. And then that's, the, that's the thing with money, right? Yeah, oh, definitely. And it's also, I think there's a real... I, I always want, I'm always nervous about being the person who says, yeah, give up your day job, follow your dream, it's magical, yeah. it's doable. Because, you know, yeah, it is if you have loads of privilege, and which I do, and I have, I have a safety net. Um, and my other half earns money and has a job. And realistically, if I really cocked this all up, then there would be someone who'd be able to support me. Yeah, I saw a thing a while ago in... Um, Vice, and it made me so angry. It was this girl, I think it was a girl or a couple of girls who went travelling and they basically lived their whole life travelling and they'd given up their jobs. And Oh, well, you can just give up your job and, you know, go working around the world and save a bit of money. And there's this picture of them all leaping on a beach. And she said, I just don't understand why more people don't do it, leaping on a beach. And I'm just like, well, people, you need to be able, you need to understand people have 
so many different reasons why they can't do that Absolutely. you know there's there's poverty there's unemployment there's disability there is race often there will mm. be people who can't have the same time in the same countries that they're going to because of lots of different issues and if we don't acknowledge that if freelancers like me who followed our dreams just go oh you should give up all your day job then I'm just leaping on a beach and being that kind of person so no for sure yeah. <laughs> for sure I fully fully agree with all of that stuff um so yeah that it's been a real pleasure getting better acquainted with you today the last question that I ask everybody is do you have anything to plug I do I do <laughs> so I've actually I've just well my second book has just been released it came out in March it's called how a bad girl fell in love Uh, available from Amazon and Smith's and a bunch of other bookshops. It's a cross between a love story and a rant about the way in which we're expected to conduct relationships. So you kind of find out more about my relationship with this guy called Mark and uh, us navigating things like mental health and sex and everyone asking when we're going to get married and have babies. Um, And it's also very, it's very explicit. So if you're sort of looking for something to buy for someone who's a bit unsure about sex then it's definitely not the book for you but if you like filth then it, it definitely is <laughs> that's i mean that's an amazing combination of topics that, <laughs> that, that that definitely appeals to me as i say i wish i wish i'd read it but i will i will read it soon I'm, i have this eternal ambition to read books uh it's <laughs> honestly i totally understand and it must be it must be difficult, particularly if you're doing lots of interviews with people, feeling like, oh, God, I've got to read everyone's books for research. You're like, honestly, don't worry about it at all. Um, no, I mean, I, I you know, I, 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 don't, I don't really worry about doing research. Like, that's not kind of the show that I'm doing, but just on a personal level, I want to have read your book. But, uh, but yeah, and where can, where can all of those things be found? Like, where can your books and yourself and all of that stuff oh, be found? So on my website, girlonthenet.com, uh, or on Twitter, at girlonthenet. And if you go to my site, there's links to pages everything. with, yeah, everything and both of my books. I've actually got two books. So the first one is a kind of memoir from when I was very young, and it starts off with a furtive teenage wank and then it come ends in about 2011 just as I started the blog so it's sort of basically a catalogue of all the people I've shagged and all the amazing ways <laughs> in which I've shagged them and then the second book is yeah sort of more about our politics around how our relationships work I mean do do, do I mean like I mean I, I'm gonna you know I'm gonna close up the conversation in a minute but just I just thought that then like those all of those people who've who are those shags that you've collected i mean you, you know you're anonymous to protect them and that is great but i mean like how do they like do some of them know that they're featured in the books and that how do they feel about that uh it totally depends <laughs> on the person so some of them don't know it would be people people from a very long time ago or one night stands or people who i have anonymized to the extent where i think that you know yeah. that's okay they're, they're not identifiable of the guys who do know um one of them Oh, there are a couple who are a bit sort of, oh, OK, that's weird, but fine. There was one guy who I wrote about and he was so pleased with, with the way I'd written about our sex. He was an old sort of fuck buddy, basically, of mine. And he was so pleased with it that he used it on his online dating profile and he put wow. a link to it on his online dating profile saying, look, turns out I'm really good in bed. <laughs> um, and yeah, so I think it's a sort of a mix. Some people, yeah. Some people are really delighted and other people are sort of okay but that's odd um but the the people who really matter the sort of most significant guys in in my stories are really really supportive and i just i wouldn't be able to you know write anything if it weren't for them basically being amazing um and just 
letting me write stuff and occasionally I'll go back to them and go oh do you remember when we were in that you know when we were at that sex party and who went off with this person and what happened here <laughs> so yeah I'm, I'm really lucky I think to have some good friends yeah I mean and do, has it has the role have the have the roles been reversed have you read stuff where you've been written about by somebody else like sexually oh I don't think I have actually yeah. I so I haven't slept with any other sex bloggers. Oh, that's not true, actually. Um, <laughs> I, I, I slept with a blogger a while ago, not a sex blogger, but a sort of, he did sort of relationship type blogging. I don't think he ever wrote about me. I'll ask him if he ever wrote about me. But yeah, I don't think I, I don't think I have. Um, and I think also I wouldn't, you know, I, I'd happily, if I were available and I fancied another sex blogger and yeah, then we could, but I think it would be odd because we would both be sex bloggers. Yeah, that would be interesting, wouldn't it? Yeah. I was kind of very kind of, yeah, like a pretty, people would be able to work it out quite quite easily probably if you were both blogging about each other yeah oh I think I'd probably have to to be up front yeah Yeah. and (laughs) but then it would sort of look a bit weird and gimmicky but having said that I do know other sex bloggers like it's quite a it's not a huge community of sex bloggers and everyone's very friendly and everyone sees each other so there are sex bloggers who sleep with each other um and so I know in my head there's this little (laughs) graph of who slept with who um and sometimes I think they'll be open about it and other times they'll be a bit quieter about it because they don't want it to turn into a thing. But yeah, it's really interesting. The politics of the sex blogger community and who's seeing who and who knows who and who sort of hangs out in real life. It's quite a... Some bits of it are quite close-knit. I'm probably a bit on the outside um, and I don't really... Because I don't really go to real-life events <laughs> except Eroticon, but... Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm, I don't like going to real life events either, particularly. Sometimes depends on the day. <laughs> is that yeah? Is that scary? You kind of on the day you're like, oh, am I going to be okay, or am I going to stand in the corner with my phone, right? Just hoping I don't have to talk to anyone. Yeah, I know some people who, uh, who, who. I mean, I don't have loads of Twitter followers, but I have a couple of people who are always kind of appreciative when I go to a party because I will always be in the corner tweeting about how miserable I am, and, oh. uh, and they like that because they feel less alone. Uh, and that's why we that's why I tweet in the first place you know? uh, so that's good um, so yeah the last thing I ask my guests to do is to say goodbye to the audience alright well thank you very much for listening goodbye bye everyone if you'd like to donate to Getting Better Acquainted go to www.gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk which has a button on it where you can sign up to donate via PayPal if you listened to today's episode and you thought what I'd like is to hear Dave talking for around about an hour. Then go over to the Stand Up Tragedy podcast and listen to the most recent episode, which is me doing my solo show about my relationship with being a man, which is called What About the Men? Mansplaining Masculinity. To find out more about that show and to donate to, towards helping me continue making that, go to www.mansplainingmasculinity.co. UK, or go over to the Stand Up Tragedy website, which is www.standuptragedy.co.uk. Uh, the Stand Up Tragedy website has just had a revamp, so it looks bright and sparkling and new, and hopefully much more accessible. This year, Stand Up Tragedy aren't doing any of our normal variety nights, but we are still putting on Stand Up Tragedy Presents events, where we showcase performers doing double bills of their full-length shows. 
We've booked in two of those at the Dog Star in Brixton on the 13th and 14th of July, where four of our favourite performers will be previewing the tragic shows that they're taking to the Edinburgh Festival this year. You can find Getting Better Acquainted and any of my other podcasts on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher and anywhere else that podcasts go to hang out with each other on the internet. All the things I do are on Facebook, so you can find them and like them or friend them on Facebook. Getting Better Acquainted is on Twitter at GBA Podcast. Stand Up Tragedy is on Twitter at Stand Up For Tragedy. And remember, there are lots of ways to get better acquainted.